You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, church. Good to see you. Gentlemen, we're a couple of days away from the old Valentine's Day. If you haven't done anything, go do something. I know she probably told you, don't do anything for Valentine's Day. That's a trap. That's a lie. Don't believe it, okay? Go go buy a flower or something, okay? You're welcome. Let me tell you guys, in honor of it being close to Valentine's Day, a little bit of a story that I don't know that I've ever told here at this church, but it's a story about me and my Valentine, Jessica. And um, I'll tell y'all it's cheesy, but I don't care. I'm going to tell you anyway, all right? So uh, you guys probably know that we met when we uh, were young at a church camp. And I have told some of this, like I went and I was what they would call smitten with uh, Miss Jessica. And so I went to the the camp office, and I found the camper files, and I memorized her address. Uh, you Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. I know it's weird, but <laughs> there we go. So uh, we would write letters back and forth, and uh, we were pen pals, and at one point, I thought to myself, I love this girl. Uh, we were meant to be together, and I was ready to take the relationship to the next level. And so one of my best friends, many of you guys know him, Marcus Brown is his name. Uh, He claimed to be a bit of a matchmaker. And I don't know if y'all ever watched that Will Smith movie, Hitch, but that was like what it was. People would seek him out and they would say, oh, Marcus, could you help me? I'm in love with this girl and she doesn't know I exist. And so one of the things that he would do, which was, again, a strange thing, but before he would help somebody, he would want to know, who is it that you want to marry? And they would tell him, and then he would say, all right, well, I'm going to shoot a basketball. I'm going to make a free throw. If I make it, then I will take you on as a client. And if I miss it, you can give up. It's over. Don't, don't even think about it. So I got to a point where I was like, all right, I want to be married. I want to, I'm ready. We got to do this. So I went in one day. I said, Marcus, I'm ready. I need, I need some help, bro. And he's like, all right, what do you need? I was like, I want to get married to Jessica Ayerdes. And he said, Jessica Ayerdes? And I said, yeah, I I want you to shoot that basketball. And he said, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. He said, if I miss it, it's over. And I said, I know, I know. And he said, normally for people, I make a free throw, but... If you want to marry Jessica, for you, it's going to have to be a half-court shot because she's so out of your league, right? And I, on one hand, I was offended. On the other hand, I was like, yeah, but you're right, though, okay? And so when I tell you I was nervous, boy, I was nervous. I really felt like my whole life depended on this basketball shot. And he went to half-court, and he said, are you ready? I was like, yeah, I'm ready. And he shot the ball, and I watched it go through the air, and I watched it. All the way to the rim, nothing but net. And y'all, I'm telling you, I thought I won the NBA Finals, right? (laughs) I love it. It's so crazy. I wanted to go right then and propose, and we weren't even dating at the time. 
It was nuts, okay? Now, listen, I will tell you, this is not church doctrine. So don't take this to the bank, all right? I'm not telling you that you should go find a Cajun to make a free throw basketball shot for your future. That's not what I'm saying, all right? But what I am saying is I've heard a lot of things over the years, ways and little superstitions and tips and tricks that people have to help them find the love of their life. And in fact, anytime I go to the grocery store, when I go to Harps and I'm standing in the checkout line and I look at these magazines, it's like 10,000 ways to find true love in five minutes. And I see it all over the place. Our culture spends a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of effort helping people find the love of their life. It's actually, our our culture is teaching people all the time. Whether you know it or not, it's trying to teach you its way of finding your one true love. If you watch the Hallmark Channel, it says, if you just buy a flannel shirt and faded jeans and move back to your hometown and pray for snow, you will get love. You will find it there. People that watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, which I've never understood, but it's like if, if we have the perfect looking people in the perfect situation and we send them on the perfect dates, then they will find their perfect match. Not to mention the millions of articles and blogs and podcasts and all these about finding your match. If you're trying to figure out Who in this world you're going to spend your life with, this world has a lot to say. And it gives a lot of advice. And it says things like this. You should date a lot of people. You should just line them up and figure out what you like and what you don't like. And by process of elimination, you're going to find the one that you like. The world and culture also tells us that uh, you need to explore your sexual nature, and you need to find someone that you're compatible with sexually. So you should have a lot of sex so you can figure it out. Culture also tells us, you know what is really smart? If you move in together before you get married and you live together. Around 75% of people that are getting married live together before they actually get married. Any sort of pushback on this as a pastor, or a friend, um, when you say, hey, can we talk about this with someone that's um, very influenced by culture? It feels almost outdated. Like people consider you to be just this old fogey or you're um, thinking too primitive or you're trying to restrict someone's uh, freedom. You even hear words like, you know, in the church, that's just legalism. That's legalistic. And I would say to you that anything resembling holiness is going to feel like legalism in a culture that permits everything. Okay? The problem with all of these modern ideas of dating and American dating culture is that it is broken and it doesn't work. It's not producing the results that people are looking for. We want to marry the people that we love, which I get. And we base that love off of all these feelings that we have or all these things that our eyes are attracted to. And the Bible really teaches us more about loving the person that you marry. 
And the emphasis is shifted. The culture does produce marriage, and it produces lots of them. People are getting married all the time. But the marriages that it produces, really, it's like a flip of a coin, whether it's going to last and you're going to live your life with someone or you're not. National survey reported in Marriage Magazine that one out of every two and a half marriages in America now end in divorce. And that, not very good odds. But... When a couple is spiritually unified and there's three habits that they have together, they attend church every week, they pray together, they read their Bibles together. When they're doing these three things, the divorce rate goes from one in every two and a half marriages to one in every 1,500 marriages. Those odds are a lot better. There's something to it. There's something here to look at and take notice of. The Bible says in Psalm 103 that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, like he created us out of a mud pie, right? And he remembers that. And so he doesn't leave everything in life just up to us. He doesn't leave it just to our best uh, guess on how to proceed and move forward. Actually, in his word, he gives us blueprints. He gives us things that we need to build our lives on. So today's message, um, if you are single and you're in this room, then lock in and listen up. If you're married in this place, but your marriage is rocky, and it's not good, and you're unhappily married, I want you to lock in and listen. If you are here and you are happily married and you love your spouse, I'm so thankful for that. I really am. Lock in and listen. Because today, maybe through the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, God wants to speak to you directly about a situation that you're in. Or maybe he wants to equip you this morning to help someone else walk through a situation that they are going through. Wherever you are in life, the word of God instructs on how we proceed in this part of our lives. God has a design for the family that's better than anything that the world has to offer. God is our creator. He created the family. And as a creator, God gets to say how it should work. He designed it. And my hope for you today is that you would fall in love with God's created plan. You would fall in love with his order, even if In the broader context of our society, that makes you a little weird because being normal right now in society and just being like everyone else and fitting in, that means that you are probably highly dysfunctional. So I hope every one of us leave a little bit weird and off today because I think that that is uh, God's design for us looks different than the design that the world has for us. Genesis chapter 24 We jump into this passage at the end of Abraham's life. He's about to die. The Bible says that he's very old and some alarms are starting to go off for Abraham because he's got this boy, Isaac. Isaac is 40 years old and he ain't married and he doesn't have any prospects and there ain't anybody in the city even worth looking at. And so Abraham is a little panicky about this and he said, we got to do something about this boy. We got to get this guy hooked up. So he calls his most trusted friend and servant to help. So that's where we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 
24. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in the household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, let me explain this. This is called a thigh covenant. And actually, this is like one of the most holy covenants you can make with someone. And when it meant when the stakes were high and it was like this means a lot, then they would have uh, them put their hand under their thigh to seal the deal, right? Like this is between us. This is a very holy moment. I, for one, am grateful that we came up with handshakes. Like I like that better myself, but there you go. There's some context. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then make your son go back to the country you came from? He says, make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised an oath saying to your offspring, I will give this land he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. There's a lot going on in this chapter. I would encourage you this week, read this chapter, read it slowly and take notes and see all the different things that's happening there. We're going to unpack just a few of them this morning. When you are searching for someone to spend your life with, or you know someone who is, and this is uh, number one, thing that I see in this is you have to get divine guidance. Genesis 24, 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household in my native land and who spoke to me and promised an oath to me, to your offspring that I will give this. Listen, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Abraham Wants Isaac to have a wife, but he doesn't just go about it by taking matters into his own hands and going out and finding a wife. What does he say? He said, God is involved in all of this and he's sending angels before. He wants to make it perfectly clear that heaven is involved. God's sovereignty is here. He is orchestrating all of this. And this chapter is full of worship and prayer, and supernatural moments. But I want you to hear this. When you are making decisions in your life, any decisions, but this is especially true of these important decisions, like who am I going to spend my life with? You have to start here. You have to seek wisdom and guidance from heaven. You cannot skip this. This is like the first step. A few years ago on Father's Day, I got a grill and I just ripped open that box and I started putting that thing together. I ain't got time. Who does to go through and pull out all the papers and read all those little communist instructions they put in there? Just like, give me the grill and let me put it together. And so that's what I started doing. I started speeding through it. And I got to the end of putting it all together. And I realized, oh, man, somehow, some way I don't mess this thing up. I put the grilled together and half of it was backwards and I couldn't even lift the lid and nothing worked and somebody came over and they said what's wrong with your grill I said don't worry about my grill but I was thinking yeah my grill's all jacked up you know and then I got out the instructions and I realized I messed up on the very first step and because I got that one wrong the whole rest of the thing was wrong 
Now I had to hold that thing together with wire and duct tape just to get it through, right? How many times have you felt or you've known someone and they feel like their home, their family, their marriage is just barely holding together? Like they rigged it up with some wire and some duct tape, but it wouldn't take much to, for it to fall apart. Often it's because they skipped the very foundational steps of life that we start with God. We start with getting divine direction and instruction and guidance from heaven. We don't build our lives on the things that will sustain us through tough times. Instead, we skip those steps and we go straight to the flashy things, but those things aren't the things that will hold it together in the long run. We cannot miss this. We must have wisdom from heaven. We must have guidance from heaven. The Bible says in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is our helper, that he helps. And you see that in this story, they fully trusted that God was at work and helping them through this process. Look at this. Then the servant left, taking with him uh, his master's camels and all kinds of goods. He got there. He had the camels kneeled down near the well outside of the town. It was toward the evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Verse 12. Look at this. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today. Show kindness to my master. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. The very first thing when he gets to town, And he's on this thigh covenant, most important mission that he's ever had in his whole life. The very first thing, what does it say? Then he prayed. That wouldn't be the first thing I would do. If you send me over there, I'd be making a list. I'd say, all right, I'd go talk to people. I'd say, who in this town is single? I need to get a, a, a wife from my homie over here. I got to know. Like, and I'd start writing down names. I'd start writing down what kind of camel they drive. Like, I want to know all this stuff. Like, I'd be making lists, right? No. This guy comes to town on the most important mission. So what does he do? The most important thing. He seeks wisdom from heaven. How many painful moments in my life and in our lives would be avoided if we started our decision-making process this way? God, show me. Lord, help me. Guide me. Lead me. God cares deeply about this. After following Jesus, like, I'm going to follow Jesus, you, all of us, have to answer two questions. And they are the most important questions that we'll answer. One is, am I going to get married? Not everyone will be married. I know a lady that has faithfully served the Lord her whole life, a powerful uh, children's minister that um, she 
is not married, and she is completely content in the Lord. And that is where she feels like God has led her. And I think it's beautiful. Um, in our culture, most of you will get married at one point. And so the first question to answer is, am I to be married? The second question is, who am I to be married to? These are some of the most important things that you will ever have to answer in your whole life. And I've seen people marry someone that they married someone. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They were guided by heaven. They had divine guidance and they, were, they built their life on the Lord in the rock. And you see how them coming together has uh, propelled their life in the right direction and moved them down the right road. Then I've seen people that uh, have married people with no, uh, giving no thought to what God has to say, giving no thought to the wisdom of friends and family. And, it, and they're like, I'm going to figure this out myself. And then they go down a road that ends up just wrecking their lives. Who you marry is such an important decision, and God cares deeply about it. And so it's, it's crucial that we get divine guidance. And I'll tell you this, in the Word, He has already outlined some things for us. We don't even have to think about when we're asking this question. If you are a believer in here, listen to me. 2 Corinthians Paul takes this very seriously. He says, stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Can right and wrong be partners? Can light have anything in common with darkness? Can a believer share life with an unbeliever? Another translation says this, do not unite yourself with an unbeliever. They are not fit mates for you. If you want God's very best for your life, Listen to me, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should not even consider someone that is not deeply committed to the Lord. You should not. And I know like that may be stepping on your toes or what, but it is the word of God and it is the best thing for you, whether you like it or not. Often I read things in God's word that I don't like in my flesh because my flesh craves something that it shouldn't have, but it's the best thing for me. If you're a believer in here, the best thing for you is to not be united with unbelievers. The Bible's very clear about that. You have to get divine guidance from the word. You also have to listen. If you have people in your life that love Jesus and that love you, you should let them speak into your life on these things. Who you date, who you're with. This is something that I know just from my own experience as a pastor and a friend and a whatever. Like I know people, this is deeply personal. And a lot of times this is an area where people are like hands off. Don't talk to me about this. But I'm telling you right now, in Proverbs 12, 15, it says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Open up your heart and say, God, I know that you put people in my life and around me for a purpose and a reason to help me, to guide me into all truth, to lead me into what is uh, gonna build me up. And so I'm going to give an ear to a mentor, to family that love Jesus and that love me. 
I'm not trying to meddle in your business because I don't. I want to control your life. I'm trying to be involved in your life because I want you to do all that God has for you. And the very best things for you sometimes are not the easiest things to hear. But don't shut people out of this, this part of your life if they love the Lord and they love you because they are speaking truth to you because you need it. Number two. I'm, I know this is tough, all right? It's quiet in here. We're going to go to number two now. All right, look for character over feelings. When I was shopping for my first car, I would go out to the car lot. It was an old uh, grocery store parking lot, and I'd be looking at cars, and I would, be a, I would be in love with the car, but thankfully my daddy was there. Me and my daddy did not shop for the same thing. I shopped for the car that looked cool, that was sleek, that had tinted windows, that had cool wheels. And I'll tell you the greatest thing in the world when I was a kid, if it had a six-disc CD player, like y'all don't understand that kids today, but back in my day, six CDs at one time and you could just switch between them, you were the king of the world, boy. So I see that stuff and I was like, dad, this car is awesome. Look, it only has 250,000 miles on, 250,000 miles. And he gets over there and he pops the hood and he said, boy, this car is a piece of junk. Why? Because he's looking for the things that are going to last in the long haul. And I'm looking for the things that catch my eye and are just eye candy. I will tell you this, in our relationships, a lot of times people are attracted to someone and they catch feelings for someone and it's all this and they will overlook a whole bunch of character stuff just because, oh, but they make me feel good. I like them. Look at this in Genesis 24. Before he finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw out more water and drew enough for all his camels without saying a word. The man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. He wasn't just watching uh, because she was a pretty girl. He was watching to see how she acted, what she did, what her character was like. When you are looking for someone to spend your life with, you need to look at the actions of their life. What are they doing? Not just their potential. I know when you feel in love, you can see past a lot of stuff. It would be like an old flip house. And you say, ah, well, if we just knock down a couple of walls and, and paint everything, maybe one day this thing will be right. You can't look at what they could be someday. You can't listen to the promises they make because when you're in love, you'll promise everything. Yeah, one day we'll do this. Listen, I, I read this quote this week from David Martin. The path they are on is more important than the promises they make. It can't just be based on those things. It can't just be based on your feelings. Oh, they came and they swept me off my feet 
and I'm just in love, head over heels. And I, I love that for you, but I got to tell you, that's a lot of hormones that sweep you off your feet, and that'll get you a lot. And if they sweep you off your feet, they can also drop you on your behind. So you got to be careful with that stuff. You can't base these decisions in your life just based on how you feel because that will betray you. C.S. Lewis said, being in love is a good thing, but it is not the best thing. And what he was saying is, when I feel love, that's a good thing, okay? But that feeling of love can come, and that feeling of love can go. And there would be times where I feel like I love them. But if you have ever met with a couple and they got married on their wedding day, they feel the most in love they've ever felt. And then after nine months when there's socks and underwear on the, the floor all over the place and nobody put up the dishes in the sink and nobody's taking out the trash, that feeling of love can feel far away in those moments. You can't base all the, these major decisions in your life just on your feelings. You cannot base them on superstition. I know that maybe your best friend had about a dream about you and this girl and that y'all should be together. You can't base your life on that stuff. Maybe your auntie has some crystals that she waves over pictures and if they dance one way or the other, then you're meant to be together. Throw that out, it doesn't mean anything. A horoscope that uh, you get and you read in the paper and you base your life on that, that's garbage. Toss it out, leave that stuff alone. These are superstitions that really aren't anything in your life. When we're making these decisions about who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, I need to look at their character, who they are. Rebecca, in this story, her character shines through. Just based on this one interaction, you can see a lot of stuff. She says, I'll give you a drink and I'll also water all your camels. Each of these camels, he had 10 camels. They each drink 25 gallons of water a piece. And so she had a bucket, three gallon bucket is normally what they would have had back then. And where she went to get water would be down in this natural spring and they build these steps down. And so what she would have had to do, someone did the math in the last service and texted it to me. She would have had to make 84 trips up and down those stairs. It would have taken her between three and four hours of work to fill all of these troughs up so that the camels each had all the water that they needed. And I, listen, I got loads of respect for that. If I can't get all the groceries in one trip out of the trunk, like I'm mad, you know what I mean? I'm ticked off. But she's spending hours doing this stuff and she does it with grace. And you can see in her character things that I think are still good for us to look for in people today. And these are actually, I'm going to read the different things that we see in this, but I'll tell you, for all of us, if you're married or you're not married, you may be looking for this, um, or if you are married, then maybe you need to cultivate some of this in your own relationship. These are character qualities that are good for all of us. One, she's selfless. And she goes, she ain't worried about how much time it's going to take, how her hair looks. She just gets to work. She's generous. She's committed. That's a tough one in society today to be committed to anything. She's committed so much, she does it until the work is done. She has initiative where she just takes it on herself. Yeah, I'll give you a drink and I'll take care of all your camels. 
She has work ethic. My goodness. If, if you're a young man in here, develop some work at learn how to work. Work, my goodness. She's kind, hospitable. She's a leader. She has, she just takes on this responsibility. She said, I'll do it. I'll take care. And I think the other thing that you see here is she has some inward beauty. She's going up and down these steps for three hours. I mean, if that were me, somebody would say, this man looks like he needs to sit down. <laughs> somebody find this guy caught to lay on, okay? She does this, and what does the Bible say? She is beautiful. I think she has external beauty, but I think also there's an internal beauty that shines through that you can't capture on Instagram. There ain't no filter to put on Snapchat to make someone's internal beauty come out. It's something that you see that comes from their character. There's no filter for her soul. First Peter 3, 3-5, it says, What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God in that way. Look for character over just the feelings that you have. Last one is this, number three, be looking for God working. Rebecca's family said this, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Like they see that God is at work. And so when they got up the next morning, the servant, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us for 10 days or so. Then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me. Now that the Lord has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so that I may go to my master. And they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. I'll just tell you, this is wild stuff. Ain't no young man going to be trying this in Greenwood, Arkansas, where I live, okay? If he rolls up to my house with a pack of camels and he says, I want to take your daughter, she needs to marry this guy that she's never met and y'all ain't never heard of and she's going to move away and y'all will never see her again. The only thing that this guy's going to meet is my buddy Smith and Wesson. Like, that's it. Like, we ain't having a conversation, right? Culture, completely different. But what I do love about this in this passage is that Everyone involved, from the servant to Rebecca to her family, they all see that the Lord is at work in this. They're all looking for the hand of God uh, moving in their midst, and they respond in faith. And she's got some wild faith, incredible faith, because she really believes that God is at work. And she knows God and is trusting that no matter what is before her on this journey, because God is leading her, that she's all right. You can step out into the darkness if you really know that God is the one leading your steps. We trust in him. We trust in his 
good character. So she sees him moving. She takes a leap of faith. She left all that she knew, everyone that she knew, because she said, I'm doing what God has for me. And the crazy thing is, like, she did not see the whole plan of God. God would do all kinds of stuff through her kids and her bloodline and generation after generation. And God had this big plan that he had put together before the foundations of the world. And he knew exactly what he was doing in that moment, but she didn't. All she knew is, God is leading me, I'm going to do it. I don't see all the plan, but I see enough. And I read this this week. It says, since God is in control, you can relax knowing that he will reveal his plan for your life step by step. God's will is more like a sunrise than a sunburst. Early in the morning, the sun begins to peak over the horizon. At first, the sky lightens and the first rays of sunshine streak across the sky. And then you see the sun slowly rise above the earth. Eventually, the whole sun is revealed and rising it dominates the sky, giving light to everything and driving away the darkness. God's will is like that. At first, we may see his plan only dimly. Then the outlines begin to emerge and slowly over time, the clouds vanish, the darkness disappears and the brightness of his presence fills our lives. God's will sometimes is not all at once easy to see, but God gives us often just enough to take that next step, whatever it is. There have been times in my life where I felt like I did not know what God was doing or what he was up to. Um, Even here in Fort Smith and other places that I've lived, I have experienced things and I go through them and I think, God, now that was not on the, uh, the agenda. <laughs> I didn't plan for any of this stuff to happen. And really it can lead to some fear. Like you don't know what's coming next. And I get that if that's where you are. But I can tell you, I know the one who directs my steps sometimes he gives you just enough you may not see the whole thing but you see the next step to take I'm going to take it I don't know where this road is going to lead me but I trust in the one who made the road amen so maybe you're here and you don't see what's happening like you don't know how God is working in your kid's life your life maybe there are some people let me tell you one last thing there are some people that you, um, you feel like God is moving. You can see that he's moving. You don't see the whole plan, but you see enough, but you're afraid to take that step because that means I'm going to commit to that. And this is something I see more and more. It's like, uh, yeah, I believe God's in it, but I just want to sit back here and wait until he shows me more. When he shows you the next step, when he lights it up just enough, in faith, step out, and take it, knowing that he's got you and he's going to care for you every bit of the way.
Amen.